0: Volume Two, Chapter Twenty Five, of Travels in the Interior of Africa by Mungo Park. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Jalanca Wilderness: A Warlike Tale. We continued at Kiny Takaroo until noon of the twenty-second of April, when we removed to a village about seven miles to the westward the inhabitants of which being apprehensive of hostilities from the fulas of fuladu were at this time employed in constructing small temporary huts among the rocks on the side of a high hill close to the village the situation was almost impregnable being everywhere surrounded with high precipices except on the eastern side where the natives had left a pathway sufficient to allow one person at a time to ascend upon the brow of the hill immediately over this path i observed several heaps of large loose stones which the people told me were intended to be thrown down upon the fulas if they should attempt the hill at daybreak on the twenty-third we departed from this village and entered the jalanka wilderness we passed in the course of the morning the ruins of two small towns which had lately been burnt by the fulas the fire must have been very intense for i observed that the walls of many of the huts were slightly vitrified and appeared at a distance as if covered with a red varnish about ten o'clock we came to the river wanda which is somewhat larger than the river kokoru but the stream was at this the rather muddy which karfa assured me was occasioned by amazing shoals of fish they were indeed seen in all directions and in such abundance that i fancied the water itself tasted and smelt fishy as soon as we had crossed the river karfa gave orders that all the people of the Koffel should in future keep close together and travel in their proper station the guides and young men were accordingly placed in the van the women and slaves in the centre and the freemen in the rear in this order we travelled with uncommon expedition through a woody but beautiful country interspersed with a pleasing variety of hill and dale and abundant with partridges guinea-fowl and deer until sunset when we arrived at a most romantic stream called ko mesang my arms and neck having been exposed to the sun during the whole day and irritated by the rubbing of my dress in walking were now very much inflamed and covered with blisters and i was happy to embrace the opportunity while the coffle rested on the bank of the river to bathe myself in the stream this practice together with the cool of the evening much diminished the inflammation about three miles to the westward of the Comasang we halted in a thick wood and kindled our fires for the night we were all by this time very much fatigued having as i judged travelled this day thirty miles but no person was heard to complain whilst supper was preparing karfa made one of the slaves break some branches from the trees for my bed when we had finished our supper of couscous moistened with some boiling water and put the slaves in irons we all lay down to sleep but we were frequently disturbed in the night by the howling of wild beasts and we found the small brown ants very troublesome april twenty fourth before daybreak the busherines said their morning prayers and most of the free people drank a little moing, a sort of gruel, part of which was likewise given to such of the slaves as appeared least able to sustain the fatigues of the day. One of Karfa's female slaves was very sulky, and when some gruel was offered to her she refused to drink it. As soon as day dawned we set out and traveled the whole morning over a wild and rocky country by which my feet were much bruised and i was sadly apprehensive that i should not be able to keep up with a coughle during the day but i was in a great measure relieved from this anxiety when i observed that others were more exhausted than myself in particular the woman slave who had refused victuals in the morning began now to lay behind and complained dreadfully of pains in her legs her load was taken from her and given to another slave and she was ordered to keep in the front of the coffle about eleven o'clock as we were resting by a small rivulet some of the people discovered a hive of bees in a hollow tree and they were proceeding to obtain the honey when the largest swarm i have ever beheld flew out and attacking the people of the coffle made us fly in all directions i took the alarm first and i believe was the only person who escaped with impunity when our enemies thought fit to desist from pursuing us and every person was employed in picking out the stings he had received it was discovered that the poor woman above mentioned whose name was nili was not come up and as many of the slaves in their retreat had left their brindles behind them it became necessary for some persons to return and bring them in order to do this with safety fire was set to the grass a considerable way to the eastward of the hive and the wind driving the fire furiously along the party pushed through the smoke and recovered the bundles they likewise brought with them poor neelie whom they found lying by the rivulet she was very much exhausted and had crept to the stream in hopes to defend herself from the bees by throwing water over her body, but this proved ineffectual, for she was stung in the most dreadful manner. When the Slaties had picked out the stings as far as they could, she was washed with water and then rubbed with bruised leaves. But the wretched woman obstinately refused to proceed any farther, declaring that she would rather die than walk another step as entreaties and threats were used in vain the whip was at length applied and after bearing patiently a few strokes she started up and walked with tolerable exhibition for four or five hours longer when she made an attempt to run away from the coffle but was so very weak that she fell down in the grass though she was unable to rise the whip was a second time applied but without effect upon which karfa desired two of the Slates to place her upon the ass which carried our dry provisions but she could not sit erect and the ass being very refractory it was found impossible to carry her forward in this manner the Slatees, however were unwilling to abandon her the day's jury being nearly ended, and therefore made a sort of litter of bamboo canes upon which she was placed, and tied on it with slips of bark. This litter was carried upon the heads of two slaves, one walking before the other, and they were followed by two others, who relieved them occasionally. In this manner the woman was carried forward until it was dark, when we reached a stream of water at the foot of a high hill called gangkarin kuru and here we stopped for the night and set about preparing our supper as we had only ate one handful of meal since the preceding night and travelled all day in a hot sun many of the slaves who had loads upon their heads were very much fatigued and some of them snapped their fingers, which among the Negroes is a sure sign of desperation. The slaties immediately put them all in irons, and such of them had evinced signs of great despondency, were kept apart from the rest, and had their hands tied. In the morning they were found greatly recovered. April 25th at daybreak poor neelie was awakened but her limbs were now become so stiff and painful that she could neither walk nor stand she was therefore lifted like a corpse upon the back of an ass and the slattees endeavored to secure her in that situation by fastening her hands together under the ass's neck and her feet under the belly with long slips of bark but the ass was so very unruly that no sort of treatment could induce him to proceed with his load and as Neeling made no exertion to prevent herself from falling she was quickly thrown off and had one of her legs much bruised every attempt to carry her forward being thus found ineffectual the general cry of the coffle was Kang tigri cut her throat cut her throat an operation I did not wish to see performed and therefore marched onwards with the foremost of the coffle. I had not walked about a mile when one of Karfil's domestic slaves came up to me with poor Neela's garment upon the end of his bow and exclaimed nili afelita. Neely is lost i asked him whether the Slatees had given him the garment as a reward for cutting her throat he replied that karfa and the schoolmaster would not consent to the measure but had left her on the road where undoubtedly she soon perished and was probably devoured by wild beasts the sad fate of this wretched woman, notwithstanding the outcry before mentioned, made a strong impression on the mind of the whole coffle, and the schoolmaster fasted the whole of the ensuing day in a consequence of it. We proceeded in deep silence and soon afterwards crossed the river Fukoma, which was about as large as the river Wanda we now travelled with great expedition every one being apprehensive he might otherwise meet with the fate of poor neelie it was however with great difficulty that i could keep up although i threw away my spear and everything that could in the least obstruct me about noon we saw a large herd of elephants but they suffered us to pass unmolested and in the evening we halted near a thicket of bamboo but found no water so that we were forced to proceed four miles farther to a small stream where we stopped for the night we had marched this day as i judged about twenty six miles april twenty six this morning two of the schoolmaster's pupils complained much of pains in their legs and one of the slaves walked lame, the soles of his feet being very much blistered and inflamed. We proceeded, notwithstanding, and about eleven o'clock began to ascend a rocky hill called Koru, and it was past two in the afternoon before we reached the level ground on the other side. This was the most rocky road we had yet encountered, and it hurt our feet much in a short time we arrived at a pretty large river called Boki, which we forded it ran smooth and clear over a bed of windstone about a mile to the westward of the river we came to a road which leads to the northeast towards gadu and seeing the marks of many horses feet upon the soft sand the Slaties conjectured that a party of plunderers had lately rode that way, to fall upon some town of Gadu, and least they should discover upon their return that we had passed and attempt to pursue us by the marks of our feet. The coffle was ordered to disperse and travel in a loose manner through the high grass and bushes. A little before it was dark, Having crossed the ridge of hills to the westward of the river Boki we came to a well called Kolonki white sand well and here we rested for the night april 27th we departed from the well early in the morning and walked on with greatest alacrity in hopes of reaching a town before night The road during the forenoon led through extensive thickets of dry bamboos. About two o'clock we came to a stream called Nankolo, where we were each of us regaled with a handful of a meal, which, according to a superstitious custom, was not to be eaten until it was first moistened with water from this stream. About four o'clock we reached Susita, a small Jalanka village situated in the district of Kulo, which comprehends all that tract of country lying along the banks of the Black River, or main branch of the Senegal. These were the first human habitations we had seen since we left the village to the westward of Kinitakuru having traveled in the course of the last five days upwards of one hundred miles here after a great deal of entreaty we were provided with huts to sleep in but the master of the village plainly told us that he could not give us any provisions as there had lately been a great scarcity in this part of the country he assured us that before they had gathered in their present crops, the whole inhabitants of Kulo had been for twenty-nine days without tasting corn, during which time they supported themselves entirely upon the yellow powder which is found in the pods of the nita, so called by the natives, a species of mimosa, and upon the seeds of the bamboo cane, which, when properly pounded and dressed tastes very much like rice as our dry provisions were not yet exhausted a considerable quantity of couscous was dressed for supper and many of the villagers were invited to take part of the repast but they made a very bad return for this kindness for in the night they seized upon one of the schoolmaster's boys who had fallen asleep under the bentang tree and carried him away the boy fortunately awoke before he was far from the village and setting up a loud scream the man who carried him put his hand upon his mouth and ran with him into the woods but afterwards understanding that he belonged to the schoolmaster whose place of residence is only three days journey distant he thought i suppose that he could not retain him as a slave without the schoolmaster's knowledge and therefore stripped off the boy's clothes and permitted him to return april twenty eighth early in the morning we departed from su and about ten o'clock came to an unwalled town called Mana, the inhabitants of which were employed in collecting the fruit of the nitta trees which are very numerous in the neighbourhood the pods are long and narrow and contain a few black seeds enveloped in the fine mealy powder before mentioned the meal itself is of a bright yellow colour resembling the flower of sulphur and has a sweet mucilaginous taste when eaten by itself it is clammy but when mixed with milk or water it constitutes a very pleasant and nourishing article of diet the language of the people of Mana is the same that is spoken all over that extensive and hilly country called jaokonda and hilly country called Kadu, some of the words have great affinity to the mandingo but the natives themselves consider it as a distinct language their numerals are these one kidding two fitting three sarah four nanny Five sulo, six seni, seven ma fitting, eight Sulo sera, nine sulamanani, ten nuff. The Jalancas, like the Mandingos, are governed by a number of petty chiefs who are in a great measure independent of each other they have no common sovereign and the chiefs are seldom upon such terms of friendship as to assist each other even in war time the chief of mana with a number of his people accompanied us to the banks of the baffing or black river a principal branch of the senegal which we crossed upon a bridge of bamboos of a very singular construction the river at this place is smooth and deep and has very little current two tall trees when tied together by the tops are sufficiently long to reach from one side to the other the roots resting upon the rocks and the tops floating in the water when a few trees have been placed in this direction they are covered with dry bamboos so as to form a floating bridge with a sloping gangway at each end, where the trees rest upon the rocks. This bridge is carried away every year by the swelling of the river in the rainy season, and is constantly rebuilt by the inhabitants of Mana, who, on that account, expect a small tribute from every passenger. In the afternoon we pass several villages at none of which we could procure lodging and in the twilight we received information that two hundred Jalonkas had assembled near a town called milo with a view to plunder the coffle this induced us to alter our course and we travelled with great secrecy until midnight when we approached a town called before we entered the town the names of all the people belonging to the coffle were carried over and a freeman and three slaves were found to be missing every person immediately concluded that the slaves had murdered the freeman and made their escape it was therefore agreed that six people should go back as far as the last village and endeavored to find his body or collect some information concerning the slaves in the meantime the cough was ordered to lie concealed in a cotton field near a large nita tree and nobody to speak except in whisper it was towards morning before the six men returned having heard nothing of the man or the slaves as none of us had tasted victuals for the last twenty-four hours It was agreed that we should go into Koba and endeavor to procure some provisions. We accordingly entered the town before it was quite day, and Karfa purchased from the chief man for three strings of beads, a considerable quantity of ground nuts, which we roasted and ate for breakfast. We were afterwards provided with huts and rested here for the day about eleven o'clock to our great joy and surprise the freemen and slaves who had parted from the coffle the preceding night entered the town one of the slaves it seems had hurt his foot and the night being very dark they soon lost sight of the coffle the freeman as soon as he found himself alone with the slaves was aware of his own danger and insisted on putting them in irons the slaves were at first rather unwilling to submit but when he threatened to stab them one by one with his spear they made no farther resistance and he remained with them among the bushes until morning when he let them out of irons and came to town in hopes of hearing which route the coffle had taken the information that we received concerning the Jalonkas who intended to rob the Kaafal, was this day confirmed, and we were forced to remain here until the afternoon of the 30th, when Karfa hired a number of people to protect us, and we proceeded to a village called Tang, Departing this village on the day following, we crossed a high ridge of mountains to the west of the black river and travelled over a rough stony country until sunset when we arrived at lingikata a small village in the district of waradu here we shook out the last handful of meal from our dry provision bags this being the second day since we crossed the black river that we had travelled from morning until night without tasting one morsel of food may second we departed from lingikata but the slaves being very much fatigued we halted for the night at a village about nine miles to the westward and procured some provisions through the interest of the schoolmaster who now sent forward a messenger to Malakota, his native town to inform his friends of his arrival in the country, and to desire them to provide the necessary quantity of victuals to entertain the coffle for two or three days. May third, We set out from Malacotta and about noon arrived at a village near a considerable stream of water, which flows to the westward here we determined to stop for the return of the messenger who had been sent to Malacota the day before and as the natives assured me there were no crocodiles in the stream i went and bathed myself very few people here can swim for they came in numbers to dissuade me from venturing into a pool where they said the water would come over my head About two o'clock the messenger returned from Malacata, and the schoolmaster's elder brother, being impatient to see him, came along with the messenger to meet him at this village. The interview between the two brothers, who had not seen each other for nine years, was very natural and affecting. They fell upon each other's neck, and it was some time before either of them could speak at length when the schoolmaster had a little recovered himself he took his brother by the hand and turning round this is the man said he pointing to karfa who has been my father in manding i would have pointed him out sooner to you but my heart was too full we reached Malakota in the evening where we all were well received this is an unwalled town the huts for the most part are made of split cane twisted into a sort of wicker wook and plastered over with mud here we remained three days and were each day presented with a bullock from the schoolmaster we were likewise well entertained by the townspeople who appear to be very active and industrious they make very good soap by boiling ground nuts in water and then adding a lay of wood ashes they likewise manufacture excellent iron which they carry to bondu to barter for salt a party of the townspeople had lately returned from a trading exhibition of this kind, and brought information concerning a war between Alamami Abdulkadar, king of Futatora, and Damel, king of the Jalofs. The events of this war soon became a favorite subject with the singing men, and the common topic of conversation in all the kingdoms bordering upon the Senegal and Gambia. And as the account is somewhat singular, I shall here abridge it for the reader's information. The King of Fudatora, inflamed with a zeal for propagating his religion, has sent an embassy to Damo, similar to that which he had sent to Kasan, as has been previously related. The Ambassador, on the present occasion, was accompanied by two of the principal Bushreens, who carried each a large knife fixed on the top of a long pole. As soon as he had procured admission into the presence of Damil and announced the pleasure of his sovereign, he ordered the Bushreens to present the emblems of his mission. The two knives were accordingly laid before dammel and the ambassador explained himself as follows. With this knife, said he, Abdul Kadar will condescend to shave the head of Damil. If Damil will embrace the Mohammedan faith, and with this other knife, Abdul Kadar will cut the throat of Damil. If Damil refuses to embrace it, take your choice. Damil coolly, told the ambassador that he had no choice to make he neither chose to have his head shaved nor his throat cut and with this answer the ambassador was civilly dismissed abdul Qadar took his measures accordingly and with a powerful army invaded damal's country the inhabitants of the towns and village filled up their wells destroyed their provisions carried off their effects and abandoned their dwellings as he approached by this means he was led on from place to place until he had advanced three days journey into the country of the jalofs he had indeed met with no opposition but his army had suffered so much from the scarcity of water that several of his men had died by the way this induced him to direct his march towards a watering place in the woods where his men having quenched their thirst and being overcome with fatigue lay down carelessly to sleep among the bushes in this situation they were attacked by damo before daybreak and completely routed many of them were trampled to death as they lay asleep by the Jalof horses others were killed in attempting to make their escape and a still greater number were taken prisoners among the latter was Abdul Qadir himself this ambitious or rather frantic prince who but a month before had sent the threatening message to damal was now himself led into his presence as a miserable captive the behavior of damo on this occasion is never mentioned by the singing men but in terms of the highest approbation and it was indeed so extraordinary in an african prince that the reader may find it difficult to give credit to the recital when his royal prisoner was brought before him in irons and thrown upon the ground the magnanimous damal instead of setting his foot upon his neck and stabbing him with his spear according to custom in such cases addressed him as follows abdul kadar answer me this question If the chance of war had placed me in your situation, and you in mine, how would you have treated me? I would have thrust my spear into your heart, returned Abdul Qadir, with great firmness, and I know that a similar fate awaits me. (laughs) Not so, said Dammel my spear is indeed red with the blood of your subjects killed in battle and i could now give it a deeper stain by dipping it in your own but this would not build up my towns nor bring to life the thousands who fell in the woods i will not therefore kill you in cold blood but i will retain you as my slave until i perceive that your presence in your own kingdom will be no longer dangerous to your neighbors and then i will consider of the proper way of disposing of you abdul Kadar was accordingly retained and worked as a slave for three months at the end of which period damo listened to the solicitations of the inhabitants of futa torah and restored to them their king strange as this story may appear i have no doubt of the truth of it it was told me at malakata by the negroes it was afterwards related to me by the europeans on the gambia by some of the french at Gorée, and confirmed by nine slaves who were taken prisoners along with abdul Qadar, by the watering place in the woods and carried in the same ship with me to the West Indies End of volume 2 chapter 25 recording by Linda Marie Nielsen Vancouver BC